Packing is an extract from Jerome K. Jerome's novel, Three Men in a Boat. This is a humorous extract about the confusion and mess created by people who are inexperienced in the art of packing. It exposes the utter clumsiness of the three friends, Jerome, George and Harris. They consider themselves to be skilled in the art of packing, but in reality, all of them have little knowledge about working in an organized manner. Hence, to the great amusement of the readers, the small job of packing is carried out by them with many a jerk and jolt. The three men, Jerome, George and Harris, have to go on a trip and have to pack for it. All three of them think they are masters in the art of packing. But all they end up creating is utter mess. They are disorganized, unplanned, foolish, careless and unsystematic and cannot properly pack a thing. They blame each other for being poor at packing and even show off their packing skills. I said I'd pack. I rather pride myself on my packing. Packing is one of those many things that I feel I know more about than any other person living. It surprises me myself sometimes how many such things there are. I impressed the fact upon George and Harris and told them that they had better leave the whole matter entirely to me. They fell into the suggestion with a readiness that had something uncanny about it. George spread himself over the easy chair and Harris cocked his legs on the table. This was hardly that I intended. What I had meant, of course, was that I should was the job and that Harris and George should potter about under my directions. I pushing them aside every now and then with, oh you, here, let me do it. There you are, simple enough, really teaching them, as you might say. Their taking it in the way they did irritated me. There is nothing does irritate me more than seeing other people sitting about doing nothing when I am working. I lived with a man once who used to make me mad that way. He would loll on the sofa and watch me doing things by the hour together. He said it did him real good to look at me messing about. Now, I am not like that. I can't sit still and see another man slaving and working. I want to get up and superintend and walk about with my hands in my pockets and tell him what to do. It is my energetic nature. I cannot help it. However, I did not say anything but started the packing. It seemed a longer job than I had thought it was going to be. But 
I got the bag finished at last and I sat on it and strapped it. Ain't you going to put the boots in? said Harris and I looked around and found I had forgotten them. That's just like Harris. He couldn't have said a word until I got the bag shut and strapped of course. And George laughed. One of those irritating, senseless laughs of his. They do make me so angry. I opened the bag and packed the boots in. And then, just as I was going to close it, a horrible idea occurred to me. Had I packed my toothbrush? I don't know how it is. But I never do know whether I've packed my toothbrush. My toothbrush is a thing that haunts me when I'm traveling and makes my life a misery. I dream that I haven't packed it and wake up in a cold perspiration and get out of bed and hunt for it. And in the morning, I pack it before I have to use it and have to unpack again to get it. And it is always the last thing I turn out of the bag and then I repack and forget it and have to rush upstairs for it at the last moment and carry it to the railway station wrapped up in my pocket handkerchief. Of course, I had to turn every mortal thing out now and of course, I could not find it. I searched through everything and messed up all the things in it in the similar manner as it must have been when the world was created and when confusion was everywhere. Of course, I found George's and Harris's toothbrush 18 times but I couldn't find my own. I put the things back one by one and held everything up and shook it. Then I found it inside a boot. I repacked once more. When I had finished, George asked if the soap was in. I said I didn't care a hang whether the soap was in or whether it wasn't and I slammed the bag shut and strapped it and found that I had packed my spectacles in it and had to reopen it. It got shut up finally at 10.05 p.m. And then there remained a hampers to do. Harris said that we should be wanting to start in less than 12 hours time and thought that he and George had better do the rest. And I agreed and sat down and they had a go. They began in a light-hearted spirit, evidently intending to show me how to do it. I made no comment. I only waited. With the exception of George, Harris is the worst packer in the world. And I looked at the piles of plates and cups and kettles and bottles and jars and pies and stoves and cakes and tomatoes, etc. and felt that the thing would soon become exciting. It did. They started with breaking a cup. That was the first thing they did. They did that just to show you what they could do and to get you interested. Then Harris packed 
the strawberry jam on top of a tomato and squashed it. And they had to pick out the tomato with a teaspoon. And then it was George's turn and he trod on the butter. I didn't say anything, but I came over and sat on the edge of the table and watched them. It irritated them more than anything I could have said. I felt that. It made them nervous and excited and they stepped on things and put things behind them and then couldn't find them when they wanted them. And they packed the pies at the bottom and put heavy things on top and smashed the pies in. They upset salt over everything. And as for the butter, I never saw two men do more with one and two pence worth of butter in my whole life than they did. After George had got it off his slipper, they tried to put it in the kettle. It won't go in and what was in wouldn't come out. They did scrape it out at last and put it down on a chair and Harris sat on it and it stuck to him. And they went looking for it all over the room. I'll take my oath. I put it down on that chair said George, staring at the empty seat. I saw you do it myself not a minute ago, said Harris. Then they started round the room again looking for the butter. And then they met again in the centre and stared at one another. Most extraordinary thing I have heard of, said George. So mysterious, said Harris. Then George got round at the back of Harris and saw it. Why, here it is all the time, he exclaimed indignantly. Where? cried Harry, spinning round. Stand still, can't you? roared George, flying after him. And they got it off and packed it in a teapot. Montmorency Montmorency was in it all, of course. Montmorency's ambition in life is to get in the way and be sworn at. If he can squirm in anywhere where he particularly is not wanted and be a perfect nuisance and make people mad and have things thrown at his head, then he feels his day has not been wasted to get somebody to stumble over him and curse him steadily for an hour is his highest aim and object and when he has succeeded in accomplishing this his conceit or pride becomes quite unbearable he came and sat down on things just when they were wanted to be packed and he labored or worked hard under the fixed belief that whenever Harris or George reached out their hand for anything. It was his cold, damp nose that they wanted. He put his leg into the jam and he worried or disturbed the teaspoons and he pretended that the lemons were rats and got into the hamper and killed three of them before Harris could land him 
or hit him with a frying pan. <laughs> Harris said that I encouraged him. I did encourage him. A dog like that doesn't want any encouragement. It's the natural, original sin that is born in him that makes him do things like that. The packing was done at 12.50 and Harris sat on the big hamper and said he hoped nothing would be found broken. George said that if anything was broken, it was broken, which reflection seemed to comfort him. He also said he was ready for bed. We were all ready for bed. Harris was to sleep with us that night and we went upstairs. We tossed for beds and Harris had to sleep with me. He said, do you prefer the inside or the outside, Jay? I said, I generally prefer to sleep inside a bed. Harris said it was odd. George said, what time shall I wake you fellows? Harris said, seven. I said, no, six, because I wanted to write some letters. Harris and I had a bit of a fight over it, but at last split the difference and said, half past six. Wake us at 6.30, George, we said. George made no answer and we found on going over that he had been asleep for some time. So, we placed a bath where he could tumble into on getting out in the morning and went to bed ourselves. This is an extract from Three Men in a Boat. Now, let's look at the character sketch of the narrator, George and Harris and Montmorency. Jerome or Jay is the narrator of the story. Being extremely proud of his packing skills, Jerome decides to take charge of packing for the holiday. But his real intention was to only supervise his friends while they did the actual packing. So when George and Harris actually agreed to Jerome's suggestion and sat down watching him work, Jerome grew angry and irritated. Nevertheless, he does the packing wherein he forgets many things thus having to unpack and repack many times. The narrator goes on to give George and Harris a taste of their own medicine when they began packing the hampers. Jerome sat back and simply enjoyed all the mess that his friends created. George and Harris George and Harris are narrator's friends with whom he is about to go on a trip. They turn out to be the worst packers than the narrator. They are highly disorganized, clumsy and foolish when it comes to packing. They place heavier things on top of the lighter ones, thus squashing them and making a mess. Like Harris placed the strawberry jam on top of a tomato and squashed it. They had to take the tomato out with a spoon. Then they spread salt over everything. Then they stepped on the butter and sat on it. Instead of helping the narrator while he packed, they simply sat and enjoyed his forgetfulness. Montmorency Another important character in the story is Montmorency the dog. 
the narrator says that Montmorency's only ambition in life is to get in everyone's way and be sworn at. The dog made the most of his day by wriggling his way in places where he was not wanted. He would create a nuisance and make people so mad that they started throwing things at him. Just while they were about to pack the hampers, Montmorency came and sat down on things. He also believed that whenever Harris and George reached out their hand for anything, it was his damn cold nose that they wanted. Montmorency then put his foot in the jam. After that, he pretended that lemons were rats and killed three before Harris hit him with a frying pan to get him out of the hamper.